today we're sitting in my living room with Ari Posner. Posner, Posner? Well, people say it both ways. Our family always said Posner, but there is uh, some Posners too. <laughs> <laughs> um, who is? Ari is a, an amazing composer of music for television, film, ads, and, and various things, I guess. So I'm interested, I had the opportunity to work with you um, through my work with Riddle Films. And as I said, when I had heard, heard your work, it was just, it was eye-opening to me what you do with soundtrack music. Or oh, is that the proper term for it? Yeah, I think soundtrack music or uh, underscore would be another way to say it. Um, you know, music that is meant to, um, it's music that has a, a function, right? It's not music to listen to necessarily for its own sake because it's got a, a supporting role, more right. supporting role. It was just—it was just a different experience for me because all of a sudden I was listening to the piece that you put together for the video that I was working on, and um, I'm used to hearing music that's kind of repetitive, that that starts off, you know, a certain repetition, it goes somewhere else and then comes back. For whatever reason, that's how I picture a lot of the music that we've used. And then all of a sudden, we brought a piece to you, and then you took it to a whole different place. Um, which I found really fascinating, and it wasn't repetitive at all. So it just seemed to travel with the video and go to different places as the video went, and I presume that's the thing. I want to talk about that, but before we do, I, will, I wouldn't mind just starting off with your past and where you come from and a little bit about your history. Sure. Well, um, I am from Winnipeg originally. I came to Toronto when I was about 20 or so to... Um, to go to York University and I did the fine arts program there, uh, majoring in music. And um, it wasn't my and my uh, plan to go into music, actually. I, I, I just was looking for something interesting to major in when I got to second year university because I wasn't really keen on majoring in. I had already done a year of arts, I guess I should say, in Winnipeg, and, uh, and I wasn't really that keen on majoring in philosophy or psychology or the usual things. Uh, I was definitely not uh, destined to be in the sciences. Um, and I found out about this fine arts program at York where I could actually get a, a, a BFA and, and then my plan was to go to law school, really. So, uh, tell me about what music meant to you at that point before beforehand. Like. It was a it was a hobby. I mean, I had played. Uh, I had taken piano lessons since I was a kid, from about six, and did the Royal Conservatory. Uh, I wasn't particularly, uh, you know, any kind of a protege or anything like that. I, I I got up to my grade eight Royal Conservatory and my grade two theory, and the only reason I took it that far was because at a certain point I was told I could get some high school credits for it. So mm -hmm. I actually did get three what they called private music option um, uh, high school credits, which saved my butt from having to uh, take chemistry and and uh, <laughs> and physics in high school. So so, but but it, it and then after that, I, I I just I spent a bunch of years just playing for fun. I played in a, in a in a rock band in high school. I um, I played in a a Jewish uh, folk ensemble that's quite well known in Winnipeg called the High Folk Ensemble. I played keyboards. I I, I learned to, to, to just sort of play um, enough kind of cocktail music that I could go and play piano at parties and that kind of thing. 
Um, but I love to play by ear. I, I love to listen to songs on the radio and try to figure stuff out. But it wasn't, yeah, it was not something I was planning on uh, career-wise at all. At that and, and Winnipeg has a pretty decent history of music. I mean, there's a lot of great musicians come from Winnipeg. Absolutely, yeah. I mean... You know, the, the and I, I encounter more and more of them all the time, even in uh, amongst the uh, com- the composing world here too. Like there's there's many TV and film composers uh, here, jingle guys that that come from Winnipeg that I didn't even know about before I got to Toronto. But you know, the joke is that you don't have uh, a whole lot to do there in the winter time except uh, except practice your instrument and you know. Just maybe smoke some dope in your basement. That's what, that's what a lot of those. <laughs> well, that'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> so. so you came here, and then you decided that this was something worth pursuing, or going into composition was worth pursuing. Yeah, yeah. I I got, I got pretty inspired and and uh, realized pretty quickly in my first year at York that that this was the first time in my life I was really engaged with school, you know, like really um, looking forward to getting up in the morning, going to classes. I mean, not certain classes, not, but, but but a lot of it, I was just, and, and, and I was excelling at it. I, I felt like I was, you know, um, doing, doing well at it. I could see that the teachers were responding to me and, and there was also some very, very excellent professors there that just were very uh, life-changing and influential to me. And, um, yeah, by the time I finished my first year, I, I kind of knew that law school wasn't really going to be happening. I, I finished my, my second year and then I took an, and then I was done, actually done my degree, but I took a uh, an extra year of just a few courses that I was really interested in doing. And that's when I started to just work part time and I played in a jazz ensemble at the school. And um, yeah, I focused on, I didn't focus so much on composition when I was there. I focused on on playing the piano, I play, uh, jazz composition a little bit. I focused on improvisation. Um, I took an improvisation course stream for two years that was amazing and just learning to, skills at the piano to be able to, you know. So tell me, what did that give you, playing in a jazz ensemble, mm. or even playing in a in a, a Jewish folk band or whatever? Like, what does that give you to become a better com- composer? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I, it's, it's a, that's a very good question. I, I I don't think that those things. Um, I mean, I guess you learn material and you learn songs and you learn to play. Um, forms of uh, and structures of pieces of music so you get familiar with the, the the different devices that are common to this kind of music and that kind of music um i would say that i probably learned uh, uh like i wasn't a particularly good and still not particularly good improviser in terms of playing jazz like i can you know i know lots of, of songs and and have lots of uh, jazz standards in my head and can sit down and play them at at, a, at the piano but to really play in a jazz ensemble with a bunch of guys and you know taking solos and that kind of stuff it's just not never been my thing like mm-hmm. i can i can sort of fake my way through it but it never came naturally to me 
Um, but but just learning to to improvisation skills and tools for generating material was very valuable to me, and that was something that um, one of the courses at York that I took with this professor named Casey Sokol um, really helped me with. And it was just you know how do you take a simple idea and and turn it into something else, and then into something else, and how do you build um, simple ideas on top of each other to make it sound more complex and that kind of thing but the idea is to keep it simple right like it's i mean i, I presume certain music lends itself to becoming more com- complex but when you think about great songs memorable songs or mm-hmm. good songs or whatever often they're so simple yes and it's amazing how such simplicity can be so powerful I it's guess. true it's true and and i think we often go on a journey of of uh you know thinking that we have to be more complicated and mm-hmm. trimming the fat and getting down to a simpler place. I think that's a, that's a common journey for, for many artists, you know? Um, but I will say that, that um, uh, one thing I remember Casey Sokol saying in our class is that the difference between a, an improviser and a composer is that an improviser has to work with simple ideas because it's, they're doing it in real time. And that doesn't mean that it can't sound, incredibly complicated mm-hmm. it can but but they are essentially um building simple idea upon simple idea and and you know grabbing at these things that are in their toolbox of of things to do um whereas a but, but they don't have the luxury of time uh, you know to to work it out in great detail right. and make it perfect or necessary you know what i mean whereas a composer can spend two weeks working on on a bar of music if they want. I mean, mm-hmm. Stravinsky apparently used to used to write a bar a week or something like that. So it's really, you know, taking the time to make everything perfect and every note has its place. And uh, so I, I think that's an interesting distinction. And, and, um, and I find that it's useful to me to think about it that, that way now. Um, composing underscores is, is oftentimes is very simple too. I think, like I, I mean, the sound of it can be generally does not have to be complicated, and mm-hmm. and sometimes being too complicated in that uh, light is is distracting because you don't want to be grabbing the 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 viewer's attention. You want to just be sitting underneath a lot of the time and 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 just helping them feel what's going on in the in the story and helping the the mood shifts or helping the story come out and, and um, oftentimes simple and like you were saying, repetitive ideas are good for that. So when you went to school, you, you, you weren't thinking of becoming a composer for film and TV mm-hmm. and, and you were in your jazz improv band. Mm-hmm. So how did, when did it change that your focus became more into film and television? Well, it was kind of a, uh, I wouldn't say by accident, but it was kind of organic because I, what I really wanted to do by the time I finished school uh, was was write songs. I was really the most interested in in becoming a pop songwriter. Okay. And um, what can you give me an example of like who would you've liked to have been like, or what kind of music it would have been? Well, um, I mean, if you're asking who are my influences, uh, like. Um, as a ki- certainly certainly as a kid and the the piano playing kid, I was always quite into Billy Joel and mm-hmm. into, um, uh, you know, the Elton John and the, that kind of stuff. But but um, 
you know, there, there was all kinds of other stuff I was into too. I mean, I, I always loved the songwriting of like Tom Waits, for example, or, um, uh, uh, Randy Newman and, um, uh, of course, like Bob Dylan, like, you know, just yeah, the, yeah. like I was really the great. Yeah. But I was not someone who was going to be performing my songs. I was, I knew that I, I just, I, I thought that what I could do is, is, is write some, some demos and, and I, and, and get them out to publishers and to artists and get my songs recorded. And that's what I was really, I really had my eye on that prize for a while. And I, and I was making some headway in it, um, at the time, I guess it was just after I'd gotten out of school, and I was I was working uh, as an accompanist for for dance classes. That was kind of my main bread and butter gigs, and and I was sort of living very cheaply with my uncle uh, here in Toronto, and I was spending a lot of my money on making my demos, and and because uh, I didn't have a home recording studio or anything like that at that point. And what what year would this have been? Well, this would have been around <clears throat> uh, like ninety two, ninety three. So studio space would have still been somewhat expensive. Yeah, yeah, I would go and yeah, I mean, I would say you know. I would make a few trips to a studio and and pay an hourly rate. I would, there, would, there would be like a basement, you know, kind of cheap studio. But but that's what I was doing and hiring singers and hiring uh, musicians to come and play on these things, and then sending out packages. It was really like a, you know, it was a real process. Um, I got lots of great feedback. I got publishers interested, people signing uh, some songs for a publishing deal, and that meant that they would shop them around and and try to find a, a placement for the song. I was never able to make much money at it. It just was not something that was getting me to a place where I could feel successful at it. Mm-hmm. Maybe if I hung in there longer, I don't know. Because all you really need is that one big hit. It's true. Right? Yeah. It's true. But I, at a certain point, and I was trying to do both things. I was trying to write lyrics and music. And, right. and when I look back on it now, I kind of feel like, geez, I wasn't probably the, that probably wasn't the best idea. I probably was not really writing the best lyrics and should have maybe collaborated with a... Bernie Taupin. Um, yeah. Yes, that's right. That's right. Or the equivalent of. And, yes. uh, so... Um, but then, so so I guess then what happened, just to answer your question, was that I, I ended up being introduced to a uh, fellow by the name of Stacy Hirsch, who was a friend of my uncle's, and he was writing music for a kid's show. And he had a little studio in his basement, and he lived not too far away. And I just kind of started shadowing him and working for him as a gopher type thing, you know, doing errands and... and uh, cleaning studio and whatever they needed whatever he needed and I just got to sit in on some of the sessions that he was doing where he was mixing his music he had an engineer there I got to see how it was synced to picture and um, and he listened to my music too I kept bringing him songs that I had written and playing stuff for him and he was still pop songs still pop songs yeah and even even some country songs at the time I was getting into writing country songs because it was a country the, the country world was still a world where songwriters could um get covers done you know mm-hmm. it was a it was a world where there was a lot of still like very um a lot of action in the in the songwriting world so so um so he helped me a lot and then and then then that actually led to to a couple opportunities to write some songs with him for the show specifically like the tv show needed 
a song in this spot. And there was a, uh, a few, a handful of times where this came up and we wrote songs together. And, so and this would have been a song as opposed to... Not score, yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah an actual song where we wrote the lyrics together. And, and um, sometimes they gave us lyrics, but sometimes it was it was us writing the lyrics. And, and it was so much fun. Like, I just had so much fun doing that. And we would just, we'd, we'd, we'd sit at the piano and come up with ideas and sit in the backyard and have a coffee and talk about lyrics and go for lunch and come back. <laughs> And like, you know, and it was just, and, and then I, and then I got paid, like I actually got paid for it, you know, which was like, wow, I, this is great. I wrote a song and I got a check. And, and so it was kind of like this light bulb went off that, you know, there's a, a viable way for me to make a living, um, by, by writing for TV. And, um, but this still would have been writing a song, not a soundtrack or whatever. So would your approach to writing this song for television be any different than writing another song not for television uh the process did you say yeah well yeah because it was i mean it's just it, there's more limitations right so because it's probably like a minute long yes that's right yeah. so and 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 they're gonna they're gonna make a video to it and there's so there's some some mandates in there like right. you have to introduce these characters or it's a christmas song or it's a, a song about this character and his bike or what you know what i mean so you have some confines within within which to work which is which is really great actually mm-hmm. like i like that because it just gives you the freedom within those limitations right and um so it's yeah and and then and then yeah it's you kind of almost in some ways like writing a commercial track or, or a jingle you know you there's a structure to it you know it's going to be you're only going to have about five seconds for your intro or 10 you know and then there's going to be a little uh intro verse or something and then you're going to get the course and then there's going to be a key change and then you're going to you know i mean and then it's going to be out right and 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 maybe it's going to have a fade out ending or maybe it's going to have an ending but those things kind of get dictated pretty quickly in a minute song or a minute and a half song so Mm -hmm. um so uh, I like that. I really enjoyed uh, doing that. And in fact, it, it reminded me a lot of, <laughs> this is a little a bit of a tangent, but what like when I was much younger, one of the things that I really enjoyed doing at summer camp, because I used to go to summer camp every year, was they'd have these, um, what they call like, color wars or something where you know you at the end of the, the session that they divide the camp and yeah. up into teams and you'd and you'd compete in all these events and i was always put on the uh, songwriting um uh, committee or the group to to create the song for the for the team and it was never writing an original like tune it was always taking a classic tune that everyone knows but then writing new lyrics to it that were, um, you know, about your team right. and about it, team spirit and about the the camp and all that stuff. And I just loved doing that stuff. I just thought it was just so much fun. And, uh, and you know, I was always sought after for being the, uh, you know, well, we've got Ari on our team for the, for we're going to win song this year, right? <laughs> so, Who knew? <laughs> but it well, was kind me. of some training back then, you know, to just putting music, putting lyrics to music. It wasn't my music, but it was, you know. But even realizing that the, this is something you liked and working with your uncle and getting paid for it. Yeah. It's still not an easy field to get into. No, it's not. There's no real set way to get into it. It's very um, sort of create your own path, I think. And I mean, I do recommend to people who ask that that, you know, that is one of the best ways still to do it, to get into it is to just go find some someone who needs help and that can mentor you and that you 
can go get up the ranks, right. and work your way up. Even some of the best guys in, in Hollywood that do this, that's how they got started, you know? Um, so, but otherwise it, it's like just an open, an open field that we, you, you, you write music and you need to find people who are making videos or, or shows or films that, that you can get in the door with and start doing that. Right. So would you recommend like when you were starting out, I presume people might've said, I'm doing an indie film. Can you do some scores? There's no money in it, but we'll credit you. Yeah. Would you recommend that opportunity or how do you feel about that? Yeah, I I, I did do that for sure. One of my first opportunities came from scoring a, a short film uh, for, for next to nothing, you know, it was maybe a couple hundred bucks to do it. Um, but it led, it, but it led to my first opportunity to work on a TV show because that f- filmmaker actually ended up taking that concept and turning it into a uh, a little comedy series that was on um, uh, the Comedy Network, and so that was my first chance at my own real gig. I, I think you have to be careful about doing those kinds of things too much because I like to take doing those freebie like indie things um, because they don't always go somewhere. Right. Um, so I, I, there's a couple questions I like to ask myself when those things come up is. Uh, if there's no money, which is like, you know, obviously if there's money and it's worthwhile doing it from that perspective, then sure, take the gig. If there's no money, which often is the case, then you got to look at the film and go, is this good? Right. Will I at the very least get some um, some material for my reel out of this that I could show to people and try to get more work by showing, you know, by right. doing a really good job on it? Um, and if the film is maybe not the greatest but it's okay or whatever you want to ask yourself who are these people that are are these good people to get um into a relationship with is there potential here to you know see further things where are they going and can i can i join paths with Mm -hmm. them so i think those three things are important things to ask so when you worked on the cindy film and you were now doing the underscore yeah tell me about the thought process in in doing that like what's what makes a good composition for film or television? Um, well, it's, or how do you approach it? I guess maybe it would be. Yeah. <clears throat> well, look. I mean, I can. We can get into the details of the process if you want. But but I mean, in in general, it's you know you look at the the whole arc of uh, of a film, and you. You want to be someone that, or the music wants to be something that's going to support the emotions and the story, the comedy, the drama, whatever that it needs to be done. In this case, this particular, it was a short film that I did. It was a comedy. And, you know, the music needed to kind of help the comedy. It needed to sort of play up the ridiculousness of what was going on. Um and so then, you know, it becomes a, a process of choosing instrumentation and what's going to suit this film and what's going to be funny but not be too strange and weird and going to detract from the um, the whole the whole bigger picture of the thing. Is know? it is it an easy thing to like? Can you easily imagine from first viewing what it should be like? I mean, I presume that you've done this for a few years, mm. so now it's probably much easier, but. When you first started, was it easier to was it easy to picture certain things happening immediately from viewing the film, and then 
then the other question would be, is it easy for you to think this is what it needs and execute that thing immediately? Right. Well, musically. Yeah, I don't, sometimes it comes easily in terms of hearing what it, you think it needs, and sometimes it doesn't. I mean, one thing that, that composers often do now, uh, and uh, even the best composers, is they... They just they put stuff up against the picture just to see how it feels like you know using existing soundtrack pieces from from other movies or other scores and 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 listening to how does this type of ensemble and this style of music feel against the mm -hmm. picture you know and it gives you a sense of it's very easy to do that nowadays with the technology so you don't have to imagine it you can actually try things out and, and go i think it's going to be good to be in this area code or that area code you know um realizing it is another is another story once you know what you're going to do um you know you have to create uh some kind of audition or demo for the filmmaker to listen to that is going to, to give them the idea of what you're going for. Right. And depending on what your ensemble is, that's not always so simple. I mean, a lot of what I do is, is mock-ups uh, of orchestra and ensembles that I, you know, program very carefully with my sample library and um, bring in the occasional musician to, um, uh, to overdub things on, you know, but, uh, but yeah, it's like, uh, you know, if you, if you, if you imagine that this, this film needs like, um, you know, dobro and harmonica uh, to really make it be what it wants to be. It, it, it's hard to do that if you don't actually play dobro and harmonica, right? Like you right. need to get, you need to get some musicians in and right. you need to, need to go through that process of writing and recording and all that stuff. So how much of this is, like how much how much of it is dictated by what the director or I presume the director comes to you and says we need this music, but do they say I really like this in this part, or do they just let you run free for a while and then? Well, now you're getting into a little bit more of the the, the details of the process because uh, I mean what is very common uh, and. Uh, this is not actually so um, such a factor in the work that you and I did together with with Riddle, but um, with most uh, films that you work on, TV shows, there's what they what you call a temp score that is there, that has been edited, either by the editor himself or perhaps there's a music editor that has come on board to to um, temp the film right. with with music, and that's a a big factor for the, uh, a big challenge that composers face because as the film is going through its edit and all the stages of its edit, the um, the filmmakers are, are starting to rely on that music and get very used to that music. There's a term for that, isn't there? Um, temp love, is that yeah, what you think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we yeah well I, I that's what i've heard temp love and and i mean this is a very common problem in hollywood too it's not it's not just you know in in my little world so um so you know the the ideas are often there i mean sometimes you get to work with someone who just says like who just wants you because they want you to decide what's going to be on there and and that's great because then it's like a, you, you know you get to really start from scratch but mm -hmm. but that's not so easy to find people like that um i mean i worked on a show two summers ago called 24-hour rental which was a very um it was a very dark and uh 
gritty and very very risque comedy like it was really like when i first saw the couple first couple episodes i was like they can put this on tv <laughs> like i couldn't actually believe it was on super channel mm-hmm. so not exactly network television right. but the uh, creator of the show uh, this fellow george mahalka was really awesome like he just uh they didn't really have much temp uh, in the in the in the thing at all and he just like kind of let me go to town and then I, he would come in and listen to what i'd done and you know make comments would make some changes but it was uh very a lot of freedom to do what i wanted and that's very different from say working on a you know when i've worked on on tv series before where the, the, a lot of the stuff is tempted with things from the born identity or you know or like like the big hollywood (laughs) films and it's like this or or especially working in commercials it's like that i can tell you like it's crazy i mean on commercials this this stuff gets temp with these massive scores and and you wind up having to try to imitate it a lot of the time without really having the budget or the means to do it you know so like i find it interesting for me i mean the, the stuff that we worked together on i believe was the mainly the Holocaust survivor stuff. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> I always use the same piece of music just because it gets, it's very depressing and it just gets me in the mood. <laughs> like, but everybody else hates the piece of music because for, I don't know, we've done like 15 or 20 videos and I think for all of them, I use the same piece of music. So <clears throat> for me, it's just to set the mood. But, uh, you know, I that's why when, I guess when I heard the first composition you did for us, it just blew me away. It was so different. Hmm. And it was, you know, Obviously, after listening to the same piece of music all the time, you get yeah, used to it. But yeah. you just took it to a totally different place, and it just kept changing. And I just kept on thinking, how does he know to go there? Like, it ju- you just added so many different layers to it. Well, that that's part of the art, right? Uh, and that's something that I, I'm still learning. I don't. It's a. It's kind of an unmasterable language, I think. But um, but you have uh, devices at your at your fingertips. Um, a few common devices to help take the, the music into those different places. For example, uh, your arrangement, how you know you for the Holocaust um, films that you're talking about, those little shorts. We you know the the band was essentially strings, woodwinds, and piano and harp, mm-hmm. and that basically it. Not a whole lot more than that. In some places, a little bit of per- percussion, but you know, so you have a section where the piano is kind of taking the 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 reins and and it's just sort of lightly accompanied with some strings and and pads and and then you go into another section where the it's a pass off to the woodwinds and they start to play and the piano sits back and and that in itself just gives you a shift in feel and tone and and if you make that i mean the key to doing uh scoring to picture is is making that happen at the right time right you Mm -hmm. have to go through and look where are the where are the scene changes here where are the important points to um make the music feel like it's having a chapter change because the picture is having a chapter change right so ideally do you do you sit down with a piece of paper and then watch the whole thing without any temp track and then determine where it goes or how well i don't i don't do with the piece of paper although that's how they would have done it in the old days but um what i do is um, in the software that I work in, which is a program called Logic, I um, import the picture, and and I hit play, and I and I can stop and start and advance frame by frame if I need to, as I'm sure you often do as an editor, right? Mm-hmm. And um, 
and so and then I can mark points. I put in markers that that will will say, okay, so. Uh, after the first, I don't know, 20 bars, uh, that's the opening section of this of this video. This is the person talking and about their past, and, and and then it goes to black, and then we go to some some photos, some black and white photos, and I'm just using the example of these these Holocaust right. videos, right? And so I mark those out, and maybe the whole thing is six or seven minutes long, and 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 by the end, I have a sequence on my computer that's kind of like a a map, a little roadmap, so I know that I have to um, uh, get to here and then make a change and and so then you and so then you start to you know put your ideas up against it then you start to like uh, improvise write maybe you have some ideas in the bank that you're gonna you know I want to try this theme or whatnot um, the other one of the other devices I was going to talk about is is key changes which is probably one of the things you responded to mm-hmm. when listening is that you know, it, it, it a, a key change, having a section come to an end and then take it into a different key makes a big difference in the feeling of a chapter change. And so with arrangement and instrumentation and then key changes, you have two really valuable devices that help you make the music feel like it's, you know, it's going to new places and it's and it's and it's helping tell the story of what's going on in the picture. Um, so I'm trying to remember, uh, like, I guess all of those uh, Holocaust videos had a little section of animation mm-hmm. in them too, right? right. So that was uh, something I knew I could count on in each of those videos was there, there'd be this little storytelling section where it would go into animation. And that's a great opportunity to maybe add some new instruments or take a, a tempo change that's another shift you know where you can all of a sudden pick up the pace and give it some new life by by having a moving part that's that's um giving it some more some more um uh propulsion i guess right. you know so when you start working with your uncle and thought well, was my is... uncle's friend my uncle's, oh, sorry, uh, yeah, uncle's yeah, friend yeah. and yeah. thought this is this is cool this is what i want to do yeah how long did it take you to kind of establish yourself to to the point where you you you're out on your own, or I I think I guess I I spent about I usually say about seven or eight years in the trenches I call it you know where I was <laughs> making very little money and and really was making my living by um, teaching piano lessons by accompanying dance classes by going and playing in a, a jobbing band and weddings and. Um, so you had music all around you, like you. Well, I wasn't really qualified do. to do much else, to be honest. You know, like I, <laughs> I didn't, uh, you know, have a lot of other skills that were going to get me a, a job. So I, one one guitar player I, I I used to work with, he, he used to say to me, "Well, if I if I didn't do this, you know, maybe I could, maybe I could get a, a job in the stock room at Canadian Tire. I'm not sure." So, <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so that I, I was, you know, being a an. I guess uh, on what's the word I'm looking for? I, I I made a point of making my living through music, whether it was playing or teaching or you know whatever else I had to do. But um, so there was never a point where you thought maybe I should pursue something. I got to get a day job, sort of yeah. thing. No, that never really came up. But I, as I said, I did have you know some slim years there for sure, and um, and I and I. I I only got a break through 
a very, very sort of random kind of thing, which I guess, you know, there's never really random, but um, my, my first real opportunity to to work a lot and to make some reasonable money and to have a lot of uh, practice at the craft was working in jingles. And um, I ended up meeting a guy who was a partner at the company where I still have my office today. It's called Pirate Radio and Television. And they are a huge post-production facility, probably the, the biggest in the country. They've been around for over 20 years. And I was lucky enough to meet one of the partners, uh, founding partners of that company, and he took an interest in me. And after a number of years of sending him demos and and writing emails back and forth, an opening came up there. And he asked me to write something for him, and I did. And he asked me to write something else for him, and I did. And then he asked me to come in and have a chat and invited me to, to be a, what they call an in-house composer there. And I had never imagined, you know, that this at the time I was still had my mind on songwriting and on uh, starting to do a little bit of underscoring with the kids show stuff and whatever, but never had my my uh, mind on going into advertising music and commercials. But he basically laid it out for me in a way that I just could not refuse the offer it just was too uh, appealing of an offer to to pass up and I, I sort of said okay well maybe I'll do this for a couple of years and I'll take stock after that and see see what I want to do next and I ended up working in commercials for about the next I don't know eight to ten years after. It was just it was just really really good way to cut my teeth on doing tons of writing Lots of pressure, though, right? Lots of pressure. Yeah, You're, yeah. It's cre- create creative on demand, you know. But I, but deadlines are good motivators, as you probably know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and you're only working in these thirty second or sixty second chunks, so it's you're you're not flexing the muscles that of having to create a big you know underscore or a symphony or something like that. You're you're really working on creating these little pieces. That... But often with the client next to you or. There's Close a lot of by. a lot of cooks in the in the kitchen. <clears throat> yeah, a lot of cooks in the kitchen because because the dollars are there's more dollars at stake generally. Now, do you feel? I mean, obviously that's what they do for a living. But sometimes I wonder, especially when there's many cooks in the kitchen, I always find it really difficult to edit when there's a lot of input mm-hmm. because I don't think I don't think there's one right answer. There's many right answers, and depends on who is the loudest or who's paying or mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. But as a composer and you're working for an agency or a client creating a commercial that's 30 to 60 seconds long, is it easy to get that consensus? Is it easy to work under that? That Well, no, it's not. I, 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 it is totally challenging. I mean, they're not, I don't know in, with editing if they're often in the room with you um Mm -hmm. it's not so much the case with with uh, composing but you do at a certain point have to you know sit down with the people and there's a uh, and and play them the piece or the pieces that you've that you've created and that's when the cooks start to chime in but but um there's a lot of layers that you have to go through in advertising because i mean we're being hired or i'm being hired by the agency and so they're my client, but they have their client who's right. the 
the company that uh, paying the money. Yeah, that's 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 right. And so then they have to, you know, they could pick something and like it and say, okay, this is great. And then they go and present it as the recommended track, and it gets shot down. And then they're like, they have to come back with their tails between their legs and go, well. And let's we have to maybe we'll try something else, but we really still want to preserve the idea of this because we love that, and you know, and and so you're trying to you're trying to write something that they're trying to sell that clients just not going to buy sometimes, right? right. So it, it's a, it's tricky, and you have to be uh, again, as I'm sure you probably know, you you have to be very diplomatic about uh, there's the, you, you you leave your ego at the door, and you what? Have, no, <laughs> <laughs> so so. How different is it to approach composition for commercial versus for film? Like, mm. is it at this point, is it just the same thing, just done differently, or or do you do you approach it any differently? Well, or- listen, c- commercials tend to imitate pop culture, whatever's going on right. in pop culture, in in movies, in um, television shows, songs, whatever is hip and happening. Uh, commercials tend to mirror that so you know i often get asked to write a a track that sounds like a sweeping hollywood score in fact i'm working on one right now that that it's a a job for falls view casino and it's you know very um it's meant it's it's meant to be this scene from a movie where the guy comes to the girl's window and and is uh, you know he's yelling up to her to say goodbye uh turns out he doesn't want to say goodbye to her he wants to say goodbye to her brother who he hung out with at the casino the night before and and you know and it's pouring rain and the and the music is is meant to be as legitimate as possible right. until you get to the joke and then it like kind of falls apart right so there I, i'm that's one of the things that i've done a lot of in commercial writing is is those orchestral type of things um, and you're working with orchestras. Well, oftentimes you do get to have, yeah, more so than in televisions where you, the budget's not there. You do get to have players come in at, uh, to record, but you don't get that for the demos. Like you, right. the demos have to be mocked up with, you know, as best you can with your samples, and 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 the demos do sound generally really quite good now because of the quality of the samples. So. Um, but yeah, sometimes you'll get you know a handful of players. I, 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 it's been less and less. The but there's been downward pressure on on the budgets in everything, advertising, TV, all that stuff. And and so I used to do jobs where I'd get twenty players to come in and and record. And it's rare that I get even six now. You know, hmm. so um, that part of it is a little depressing. But <laughs> but but to answer your question, the process is similar, right? You know, it's just that everything happens in a in a shorter. Arc, right. right? Um, a lot of times in commercials, because it's just 30 seconds, you, you are just really creating a vibe that that starts sort of in a small place and grows and gets you to, ta-da, the product and whatever they're selling. And and that's a common shape for, for commercials, for sure. There's been a real tendency in the last decade to, to license songs as opposed to having mm-hmm. actual... Um, scores written it's just they just want to get a great pop song on their commercial because people know it and it just makes it seem cooler and and uh so that's been kind of bad for business but (laughs) so if if you were to i don't know if 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 you were to compare yourself to a musician like i've often interviewed musicians and talked about the time when they first heard the song on the radio Mm. 
I mean, obviously your commercials have been on the radio, on television or whatever. What mm-hmm. is that feeling? I mean, do, you, do you just, do you detach it as just a job and whatever? Or is there some thrill that you get out of hearing your your work on it happens rarely like it like it happens infrequently but it does it does happen i mean a lot of the commercial work i do i really i really do detach myself from it and i consider it you know bread and butter work and it's functional and i do the job as best i can but i don't uh you know i'm not fooling anyone into thinking that there's brilliance or art going on here it's really it's, it's very functional stuff now occasionally i've had the chance to work on on uh spots that uh, you know the music is up front and center it's more about the music than anything else in a way because there's not much sound in the commercial just more about looking at the images i'll give you an example um and i i often use this example when i go do talks at uh, at york i go sometimes go back to york and i bring material to show them and stuff so around the time of the 2004 olympics when it um uh, which i guess we're here in canada i think the um uh i did a spot for bell mm-hmm. which was um if you saw it you would remember it because most people remember it it was it was just a series of uh pictures you look at a picture and then they would zoom out and you'd see that that picture was actually in a picture and then you'd zoom out some more and that picture was in a picture and and so it was just the spot was called frames and and um and there was no talking in it so and it was a 60 second commercial of no talking and just looking at these at these pictures and it was trying to show and and basically the first image was one of this girl and and you get back to the same image at the end so just showing that we're all connected you know Mm -hmm. everyone's connected and they knew that they wanted to have a solo piano piece of music because they attempt the uh the spot with a solo piano piece and everyone was loving that so i i, I wrote a, a bunch of tracks for it just in, and they picked one and and um and it just it, it caught people's attention this spot uh, the music did not because it necessarily was brilliant or anything but because that it was all there was there to listen to and it was up front and center and and the spot was good so people noticed it and there was all like i remember at the time there was all kinds of uh, things threads on the internet talking about well what is this piece of music and where did it come from and no i think it came from this movie and no it's not from that movie and someone said oh if you want to get download the score to this to this uh, piece of music it's here and i'm like the score i never made a score for it right (laughs) like someone had someone had lifted it and taken the time to write it out no really yeah and um and so and 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 you know i friends knew it and i could play it on the piano for them and they go oh i love that piece you know so like that kind of thing happens rarely 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 but um i tend to not be very attached to and advertising actually i think takes you in the in the opposite direction of getting attached you learn to become very unattached maybe to a fault that you you know right you don't care enough about it in a way. um so in movies the, the stuff that you've done um, would you feel the same way, or do you listen to do you watch a movie that you've scored and thought, oh, I could have done that better? Or are you able to enjoy what you've I done? I know that feeling. <laughs> <laughs> every but every composer goes through yeah. that, you know. I, for sure, you know, I'm I'm most proud of my work in in movies and in some of the drama television that I've done. Um, but it's but you know it tends to be isolated to specific scenes or a specific episode or you know um 
there's lots of places where you listen back and you go, oh, I really wish I could have that scene over again, you know, because it's just, as I said before, it's an unmasterable language and, and you just, it's, when you hear it 10 or 15 years later and you and you know so much more then and you just mm-hmm. have so much more at your fingertips in the palate and, and your, um, your notion of where to, come in and come out all those things like it's just you know it's it, you kind of go how did i get by back then doing it, doing <laughs> but, it that bad but do you think it was wrong or do you think things have just changed things like i change. don't know yeah yeah no things change for sure i i, I just but you know what's like the really amazing scores um from films are, are kind of timeless right like mm-hmm. you know i don't imagine that john williams uh, maybe he does, but I don't imagine he listens to the first, you know, the, the score from Star Wars from the first movie now and goes, oh, God, what dreck that is, right? Like, it's incredible music. Yeah. And, and it's the the level of craftsmanship is so high and it, and it doesn't go out of style. And you know what I mean? So um, there are pieces. I feel like I've grazed in that area here and there sometimes on, on some, some pieces, some cues, but um, it's not uh, something that I can do nearly even i don't know <laughs> nearly half the time right so if you go see a movie do you watch it as a fan or do you listen to the music like, are you very conscious of the bit, a bit of both it's hard not to uh, but but honestly like if it's a really good movie and the composer's done their job well uh i will find myself in a situation like where i'm watching and then i'll be like Oh, geez, when did the music start? You know, hmm. like I didn't notice it come in. And that's when they're really doing their job well. It's like this invisible tapestry of stuff that's just, you know. Do you also get ideas from that, from from watching and going, wow, I would have never done that? Or... Yeah, I, I do. I mean, you have your, you. I have my, my certain composers that I really love and, and listen to their their pieces after the fact after i've seen a movie i'll i'll listen to some of the soundtrack cues and that kind of thing so um but uh, you know if i'm going in because it's a composer i know the composer and i and i like the composer i will probably be listening more but if i'm going in to see the movie and it's really done well i don't notice the music too much i, I get lost in the story but there are movies you might go see because of the composer yeah 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 so this is fascinating to me, but was there was there everything like is there anything that you could share with me that that was like this aha moment where things changed in in the process or in hmm. the way you worked? Hmm. Because obviously this is a learning process, and and you've you've had your background from your camp days to mm-hmm. your composition at at York and whatever. But getting into the business, I presume every day is a, a, a different thing, and you're constantly learning. But it was there a moment where you thought that you just learned something that was very vital to what you do? Yeah, I definitely had a few of those. Um, one story that I've told people before is that, you know, I worked on the, the police show uh, Flashpoint for mm-hmm. five seasons. And, and gotten a lot of nominations and some awards. Right? Yes, it was a very, you know, popular show. It resonated with the, the masses, so to speak. I think it was just a show that was done really well. It was good writing, good acting, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And the show had a lot of music in it. It was just a stylized show in that way where the the producers at a certain point early on just decided we just want to 
have music going on most of the time, you know, um, which was challenging because it, it um, it's hard. This is, it's hard to write music without saying something with the music, mm -hmm. you know, how do you write sort of neutral music? Um, it's obvious what to do when there's tension on screen and there's or there's a chase or there's drama and it's, there's there's more obvious what kind of uh instrumentation and and uh, intervals and harmonies that you need to, to create that feeling but where we often would run into trouble because uh, i had a partner on working on the show with me a guy named amin batia who I've, I've worked a lot with um as a composing team um and we'd often run into trouble in these places where they just wanted music in there just to just to carpet it just to be underneath what's going on but not really leading it in one way or another emotionally and um i remember this one scene where i wrote i must have wrote three or four times that just it was failing at the, at writing the the, the the underscore for this scene and it was a really nothing scene it was a scene where like there's like two people talking in the police station about just kind of everyday stuff and and i i kept getting rejected and at a certain point i said to the, the producer Anne marie i, I said uh, well maybe may, tell me what you want to feel in this scene she's like i i want to feel nothing <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to feel anything, right? And that was like an aha moment. It's like, oh, like I'm putting, I'm injecting feelings into this that because I think this is like kind of good music and it's like it's working in mm -hmm. its own musical way, but it's injecting feeling into this what's there that has no business being there, right? And, and, uh, uh, producers and creators of shows don't want that at, at all. Like they don't want you to be in, they want you to be st sticking strictly with the emotion and story of their narrative. Right. And, um, if you, the music starts to go off on its own tangent. So then, so then it became, you know, then it became a question, well, how do I, how do I create neutral music? How do I just, and it just becomes very stuff that's very innocuous and very still and just certain kinds of ambient pads mm -hmm. and sounds that don't, don't really do much except kind of hover there. And, and uh, that was a learning experience because Flashpoint had, I, I call it invisible music, you know, um, how do you write invisibly? And, um, and even, you know, when you're writing the dramatic stuff, the chase music, where there's big drums and cellos and basses and all that stuff, uh, that stuff isn't invisible because it's clearly you can hear it and it's go and it's driving the um, the uh, uh, propelling the scene and all that stuff. Right. But 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 nobody's focusing on it, right? The average viewer is not focusing on it. They are focused on the story and what the people are saying, and it's hard to learn that as a as a screen composer i think it's one of the tough things because you 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 have to learn to really take a back seat and be uh accompanying you're, you're, it's almost as if you're you know i'm sitting at a piano and accompanying a singer and they are the focus right and and, and it's almost like the dialogue and the sound design and everything that's going on in the story is the singer and you are accompanying that do you do a lot of soundscape or sound design work as well? Like no, no, hardly. Uh, I've hardly ever had to do it. Um, is that just a different discipline or is that just not something you've done because you well, it, it, don't come I mean, look, they, they, I guess they they do kind of cross over a little bit here and there, but uh, I've never been hired to, you know, 
create like sound design for for a, a commercial or a film or TV. It's just a whole other um, toolbox of stuff that right. I don't I don't actually have. Like I don't have all those things that you would need to do foley or to do sound effects and. Um, uh, I've I've learned by working in uh, on Flashpoint and and currently working on X Company that uh, you know there's a lot of people that go into making that stuff happen. It's not just one person. So, no. so yeah. when you've received so many nominations and and won so many awards, including Junos and Gemini's and countless number of stuff, was there a point where one award made a difference in 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 your status of, or, or where it made a difference where people started calling you a lot more for jobs? Um. I don't know, not not so much. I mean, it, I, I think uh, like one of one of the you know sort of in my mind one of the biggest deals, if you want to call it that, in terms of those kinds of things, was receiving an Emmy nomination with a with a man, uh, and we went down to Los Angeles for the Emmy Awards. This was this was ten years ago, um, and. When we were there, the, you know, the, we we schmoozed a little bit and went around and, and met people and went to the Disney studio because that was it was a project that was a Disney project and but someone, I can't remember who it was but someone told me it's like yeah the Emmy the Emmy nomination is good for about six weeks <laughs> <laughs> for, for about six weeks after people take your calls and you know be be on their radar and those things those are they're, it's great to get those things because it's nice to be acknowledged by your by your peers and yeah. that's who you're being acknowledged by and you're labeled for life right you're emmy, emmy yeah nominated. that's right and yeah. so it's good to put on the resume and all that stuff but does it get you jobs i don't know i don't think it's really translated into uh, a whole bunch of other work for me you know and is it always driven by some like do you initiate your own ideas projects at all uh what do you mean like do you ever think i would know I'm not sure how this would work, but like I know you're very much in demand and people call you for jobs all the time. But do you ever think, gee, I want to do something that's this and I want to start this project on my own? Hmm. Well, first of all, I think you might be pitching it a little high there when you say I'm very much in demand and uh, (laughs) people call me all the time. time. You you (laughs) seem to be busy. (laughs) (laughs) I love working with Riddle. I think it's really fun work. I hope that I hope they'll we'll do some more this year. But um um the uh i i I think that if when you get to if you're like say han zimmer or thomas newman or one of those top 10 guys in hollywood you probably get to pick your projects Mm -hmm. you know you'll get offered a bunch of films uh, at a very high level films and you can decide like well i don't really like that story or that's not the kind of score i want to write i'm going to pick this one but right. i don't think most composers screen composers have that luxury i think most of us in the middle of the pack tend to you know we have our clients that we work for and we are happy to be working right and do you still do you write any music for with your initial goal in mind of maybe selling a song or anything like does that is that thing totally now gone yeah i don't really I do. I mean, sometimes I have ideas and I try to jot them down, well, not jot them down literally on paper, but try to record little snippets of ideas and bank ideas. But, um, you know, I, I just I find that because I spend so much time at the computer writing music for with function and right. for purpose that that I'm I don't have the creative space or the brain energy to, to do it, you know, for fun. 
uh, after hours sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. The only thing I do that is for me is is at nighttime after dinner or something or when the kids are asleep. I play. I like to play the piano and I'll just sit down and play standards or or improvise a little bit or you know that kind of thing. And do you have other hobbies? I know you're busy busy with the kids and all. But. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I I don't know if it's called a hobby, but I play I play a fair bit of squash. That's how I keep keep uh, reasonably fit as I. As I get more and more ensconced in my mid forties here, <laughs> but you're keeping busy. I mean, it sounds like you're doing a lot. Yeah, yeah. And have done a lot. Yeah, I, I, I guess. Look, I, I can't complain. I, 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 I sometimes I, I think you know maybe it would have been better to go to L.A. and make that move and climb, try to climb that ladder instead of climbing this one here. But. Um, uh, I'm pretty happy here for the most part. Well, it's pretty amazing. I mean, when you think about really not knowing and kind of stumbling into this mm-hmm. and then to be recognized for the work that you've done and and to be working in the field that you've chosen is, you know, I always find that a, a good thing. Yeah, there's something to, no, I'm, pr- I'm definitely proud of that. I'm, 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 and I, as I was saying before, I go back to York once a year to speak to uh, a, a fourth year, what they call a fourth year, um, business development type like music business development type class or or I should say career development it's like the kid the one the the people that are getting out of school and and how are they going to start to make Mm -hmm. a living in in music in whichever way they're going and so I just go there and talk about you know how I went from A to B to C in my path and um, you know one of the things I, I always stress there is just that at the beginning of your career you don't really have a lot of control over where the work's going to come from, you know, you can, I mean, waste a lot of time making cold calls and barking up the wrong trees. And, you know, but what's really important is to kind of keep your eyes open as uh, close to 360 degrees as you can so that, you know, you might have your idea that you're going to go down this path, but something, some opportunity pops up over here and you have to take a little detour there. And, and that might be actually exactly what you need to do and that that eventually it will lead you back to where you were going in the first place or maybe not maybe it'll take you down completely but it's it's in the beginning i think you really have to just be open to mm-hmm. to taking the opportunities where they come from and and going with it you know um so i'm i'm, I'm i feel lucky i mean I, I i owe a lot to what i to my mentors and to the to the, the people that took an interest in me and and allowed me to collaborate with them or gave me a shot at, at working in the jingle business and all that stuff. So it's, you know, hard work and, and some lucky breaks, I guess. Well, it's it's well-deserved. And I, I know that, you know, when, when we got a chance to work with you, it was just, it was great. Like, this took us to another level and we really appreciate that. Oh, so. good. Thank you very much for doing this. I really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to talk to me, so... My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Great. Thanks.